0: i to take our reading this morning out of... We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5.13. This is a verse of Scripture that's very familiar to everybody. Uh, Jesus, speaking at the Sermon on the Mount, says, uh, says this to, uh, to those that are... Uh, to His disciples there. He says, Ye are the salt, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men." And now, I'd like to take that, and we're also going to juxtapose that with Mark chapter 9. And uh, and we're going to get a kind of a fuller look at what Jesus was saying here. In Mark chapter 9, in verse 36, it says, And he took a child, and he set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one such one of such children in my name receiveth me and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me but him that sent me and john answered him saying master we saw one casting casting out devils in thy name and he followed, followeth not uh, and he followeth not us and we forbade him because he followeth not us but jesus said forbid him not for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt had lost its saltness, wherewith shall ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. And that's where we want to stop our reading. And my title for this morning is, Be the Salt. Be the salt. Be the salt that we're commanded to be. Right? In in Matthew 5.13, Jesus said, You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt had lost its savor. Right? Right? salt serves two main purposes the first one is to season now i like salt <laughs> you can ask amy she'll tell you she'll I, I'll, I'll reach for the salt she'll be like why are you putting salt on that and i'm like because it makes it taste better and uh and she she doesn't necessarily agree with me on, on every point but uh, lily lily's not a big fan of green beans and and uh and i said here put some salt on them and she puts some salt on them and she's like, oh, I, I can eat them now. Now, you go to eastern Kentucky and they really love salt in eastern Kentucky. Now, that's that's where I get that from. Um, mom, mom and grandma, everything, they, whenever they cooked green beans, they made sure they had a big piece of fat back in there. And that's a a lot of salt that you're throwing in there and that will get imparted to all the beans and so you'd have that flavoring in the beans so Amy kind of wonders why I like to add salt to my green beans well that's why I like to add it because part of it is because of the taste part of it is because that's just the way I'm used to green beans taste and and so we, we see that salt, uh, that savoriness of salt being shown forth here. Uh, that's what it does in meat, right? When you're, when you're preparing meat, one of, the, one of the things you do to it is you'll add seasoning to it. And one of the base seasonings you'll always add is salt. And, uh, and so uh, it's amazing to me sometimes because Lily, Lily likes watching cooking shows and I'll watch them with her. And uh, one of the criticisms that they always get is is that somebody didn't salt it enough. They didn't season it enough, and so it doesn't taste good enough. And so, uh, or one of the criticisms, I guess, that they should say. And so we look at this, and 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 that's one of the cheap things, or that is the cheap thing. That, that Jesus is pointing out here uh, that the savoriness of the salt or the savor of the salt is what we should hold on to. But what is the savor of the salt for those of us that's been saved? What's the savor of the salt for those of us that's been saved? Well, if we look here uh, in Mark, I believe Mark goes into a really uh, quite a lot of detail explaining that savor, that, that savoring aspect of salt. Uh, The first thing he does is he takes a small child, right, and he sets him in the midst of him. Jesus takes this child up in his arms and he makes a statement to them that whosoever shall receive one such children, one of such children in my name, receiveth me. Now, I don't think he's literally talking about a child here, because I believe this would have been a very small child. He's talking about somebody who is just converted, Somebody who's just been saved. Somebody who has passed from death unto life. Somebody who's been born again, and now they're babes in Christ. They're babes in Christ. That's who he's talking about. And and when you receive somebody who's just been saved, uh, then you're not just receiving them, but you're receiving Jesus because he's taken up residence in them. Uh, and uh and so he says this he says whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me but him that sent me so when we receive them if they've been saved jesus is in them and he says that the father sent him so that you're not just receiving jesus you're also receiving the father and so then john gets into asking a question now i think this is a question that is very relevant to today and uh, the situation uh the the status that we've find ourselves in uh, as the Lord's churches today, uh, because the churches are so fractured, they're so splintered. Even within the Missionary Baptist denomination, the churches are fractured and splintered, and it seems like we look for more reasons not to fellowship than we do for reasons to fellowship. 38th verse John asks him the question he says master we saw one casting out devils in thy name and he followeth not and he followeth not us and we forbade him because he followeth not us now that's the that's the idea isn't it uh, that is so pervasive in churches today well they're not of our our, our ilk. Now, I know back in the day that it was commonplace for for missionary Baptist preachers to preach that the missionary Baptists were the only ones that were going to enter into heaven. There's going to be people in heaven of every nation, every tongue, and every kindred. That's That's what the Bible says. That's not possible that that would be the case. And so we should be looking to make sure we're building bridges, not burning bridges. But at the same time, if a place has a doctrine that's not sound, we don't have to take on their doctrine. And that's the thing. It, John says, Well, he didn't follow with us. He wasn't he didn't follow our doctrines. He didn't follow the, the things that we prescribe and the things that you've taught us. He said, they didn't, He didn't follow with us. He didn't walk with us. So we told him to stop. We forbade him. Because he didn't follow with us. See, that's the man part there getting in the way for the, for the disciples, isn't it? That's the man getting in the way because we don't like it. Amos said it best, didn't he? When he said, how is it possible? And I'm going to paraphrase this. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Agreed. You have churches that split because sizable portions of the churches get into a position where they are no longer in agreement and they can no longer fellowship together and, they, they, and it just it never fails. That church eventually splits and becomes two churches, weaker churches. If you don't believe me, I mean, let's just go through the history of missionary Baptist churches and how many times they've split, and now let's look at the state that we find them in. And I don't believe you can refute that very much. We should be looking for reasons to fellowship, not reasons why we should break fellowship. With our brothers and our sisters in the church, we should be... We should be looking at the fault, yes, but we should also recognize that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, that's not to say that we, shouldn't, that we shouldn't exercise discipline. We should. But we shouldn't harp on every little thing. The discipline gets exercised on vainly big things. Little things should not become points of issue for a church. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is I truly believe this. The pastor is a little thing. <laughs> it's he's not some great thing in the church. The pastor's a little thing. Churches today get split because they don't even agree on the pastor. Because they're unwilling to say, well, that's our pastor. He won in the election. I'm going to back him. I had a friend of mine who uh, uh, he called me after they had a, a pastor election. He said, I don't think that they voted the right person in. I said, So? <laughs> I said, do you think that your opinion matters more than everybody else in the church? Well, he goes, well, no. And I said, then our conversation's done. <laughs> I, said, I, I said, I got news for you. I said, I'm going to give you one option. Actually, I said, I'm going to give you two options. I said, here's your two options. You can go back in there. And you can start raising a stink behind the shadows and behind the walls and working in the shadows of the church and start whispering in people's ear and start trying to win people over to your side and eventually get enough people over to your side that you have enough to vote the pastor out. I said, or you could actually go in there and value the church more than you value your own opinion and go in there and Back the church and say, this is our pastor. This is who I recognize as my pastor. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to support him financially. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that his tenure, while he's here as our pastor, is successful. we got problems, folks. Not necessarily here. I'm just saying within our within the realm uh, that we are in, because we can't even all oftentimes fellowship with each other in, in in so many instances. And this is not happening just in our ranks, but this is happening all throughout Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity right now. The, the Southern Baptist denomination, they're at each other's throats. They're about to split Uh, The Methodist, even though we disagree with them on many points, they're about to split into four ways. (laughs) I I mean, we are, as Christians, we're expected to be the salt of the earth, right? But if the salt has lost its savor, I believe we have to look around at society today and say, hmm, I wonder if the church has the savor that it once had. I wonder if it has that good taste that it once had. What is the savor? Well, the savor is the doctrines that the church teaches and believes in. The savor is teaching that all men are sinners, yes, but all men have a way. Back to God. All men have one man who came and suffered and died on Calvary's cross that they might have their sins remitted by blood through Jesus Christ, and that he has risen from the grave, and that he's in heaven at the Father's right hand now. Sit down at the Father's right hand, showing and indicating by his sitting down that all of the work necessary for the redemption of man is completed and that all corruption he is able to overcome all corruption and now that's some of the things that we should be focusing on uh not focusing on necessarily that just because they're not of our ilk uh that we're not going to get along with them jesus said to that forbid him not forbid him not The apostles said, we forbade him. Jesus said, forbid him not. And you'll find this oftentimes happens where the apostles take one position and Jesus says, you took the wrong position. (laughs) At the feeding of the 5,000, the apostles said, let's send them away so that they can feed. And Jesus said, no, don't send them away, let's feed them. See, when we let the man's side make the decision for us, right? Well, instead of stopping and listening for the Lord and let the Lord come to a consensus and make the decision for us, we're inevitably going to do the wrong thing. The, the disciples were no different. He says, there's no man which shall do any miracle. Now he said he was casting out devils in his name. He said, there's no man that can do any miracles in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. Then he says, for he that is not against us is on our part. See, they didn't have to say that he agreed with them in every part and parcel and that he didn't walk with them. Jesus said, no, he's not your enemy. <laughs> if he's casting out devils in my name and it's actually of effect, it's actually he's actually able to do it, he's not going to say anything evil of me he will not he will not lightly he will not very take it as a very light thing he will not esteem it as something easy to speak evil of christ and he says for he that is not against me or or not against us is on our part we should be looking for allies not enemies (laughs) in the church of god we should be looking at each other as allies not enemies (laughs) We want the churches strong. you got to be the salt if you're going to have a strong church. Got to be the salt. Then he gets into this. He's going to launch into a diatribe, and this diatribe is going to kind of show forth what's real. And now my friend who came to me and asked that question, I said, you got two options right now. And I laid out those two options for him. I said, one of those options is going to strengthen the church, and one of those options is going to destroy the church. And I said, and depending upon which decision that you make, it's going to speak either highly of you or it's going to speak against you. And so Jesus gets into this, this this lesson here, where he's actually talking about going through and looking at the te- things that, that are temptations to us and doing away with those things and cutting those things out of our life. Uh, this is an instance where if you were to take this set of Scripture literally... Um, and you would say, well, I'd rather cut off my hand. Well, you're not literally going to cut off your hand. You're not literally going to cut off your foot or pluck out your eye. So he's obviously speaking in figurative terms and using uh, uh, principles of speech here. And so, But he, he looks at this and he says, If thy hand offend thee, if thy foot offend thee, if thy eye offend thee, if any of these things become snares, right... And, and I believe this can be looked at as somebody who's trying to do a couple different things, somebody who's working in the in the background, or somebody who's working even at the forefront and trying to. Damage the church, trying to cause them to cease being the salt. Right, uh, work their hands are uh, are working in a way uh, that uh, that it would cause them to cease to be the salt. Or their feet, right? Their feet are running about and spreading doctrines and lies and fallacies and heresies. You you, you guys have heard of that, haven't you? They're running around gossiping in the church, packing tails, being a tail bearer, uh, all of those things. They're Maybe they're doing that. Or maybe they see every little fault and flaw. And any little thing that they say is offensive to them is a reason not to, no longer to fellowship with them right it's not literally talking about that thing now this can apply inwardly and it could be things that are in your life and surrounding you uh, that cause that maybe they're a problem for you individually but it's looking at it more from the standpoint of the church and, and if there's people in the church that's doing these things and causing the church to be led down a road that it ought not lead because they're doing things that are abominable in the sight of God and I want to I want to touch that remember they had hands uh, they were Working right. Uh, let's go back and let's look at this again. Uh, on the first offense, he says, "If thy hand offend thee, cut it off." They were—that was a practice that they used to use back in those days, and they still use it over in the Middle East in those days. If you're caught stealing, right, they'll cut your hand off uh, in uh, in the uh, uh, in the Muslim world. They'll do that, uh, and uh, and so if if somebody's caught stealing or or doing that or working works uh, that aren't uh, amendable or agreeable to the doctrines of the church, uh, then you've got to address that. That's a big issue. That's a problem. We stick our heads in the sands today and say, it'll go away eventually. You know what, folks? A problem never goes away until it's addressed. It just doesn't. You can't pro- you can't you can't show one instance where you an- ignored the problem and it and it ceased to be a problem. It metastasizes and becomes a bigger problem. It's like if a person has cancer, and they say, Well, I've got cancer, um, but I'm just going to ignore it, and it'll go away eventually. Well, eventually they get to the point where they can't really have any energy or, or whatever whichever type of cancer they have. It's such a problem for them, they no longer can't ignore it, but a lot of times then, by the, by the time they go to get it addressed, it could be too late. It's already reached stage four. It's already declared to be terminal. It's now incurable. We don't want to get to a state of incurability. We want to get it while it's early so you can address it while you can move forward. And so Jesus says, if your hand offends you, if your foot offends you, if your eye offends you, I want to direct you over to Proverbs chapter 6. We touched on this in Sunday school this morning. There are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination. Listen to what he says. A proud look. But well, if you got pride in your church, you got a problem, don't you? You know what you know how to tell when you got pride in your church? when there's a segment in the church that says, we know better than you do. Now, I don't think we have that to deal with here, and I'm thankful for that. But if that were to be the case, I would preach the exact same thing in that instance. The other one's a lying tongue, right? A lying tongue. Uh, now, he didn't say anything about a tongue, right? <laughs> but the Bible says the tongue is an unruly evil which no man can tame. Uh, and, uh, and so we have to acknowledge that. Hands that shed innocent blood, right? In other words, hands that are about the business of iniquity. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, and feet that be swift to running to mischief. You see how the things that Jesus is touching on, they're all wrapped up in in the things that God hates. The six things that God hates, and seven that are abomination. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. See? This is what he's talking about. Because John had, caught, had asked him about the one who was casting out demons in the Lord's name, but he didn't walk with them, and he had found fault with that man. And Jesus said, no, there is no fault to be found. See, an evil, in a, an evil in an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and one of those signs that shows there are an evil in an adulterous generation is there are a fault-finding generation. And folks, if there were ever a description for the time that we live in, it's that it's a fault-finding generation. It's in it's in society and it's in the churches. You have brothers and sisters who it's no wonder we don't see the power of God the way we're accustomed seeing it. How can you how can God be pleased when you have those in the church who are looking To find fault with one another rather than looking to worship with one another. If we go to the day, if we go to the day of Pentecost, when the, at the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of the Lord came in as of a rushing and mighty wind, what was the state of the church? They were of one mind and they were of one accord, weren't they? They agreed in all the doctrines and they agreed as to why they were there and what their purpose was that's what we need we need the church to be one we need to be the salt uh, and that's what Jesus says What's, uh, what about this? these are that are running toward this now I'm not saying that there aren't saved people that do that there certainly are but Jesus said there's one that came in and sowed the tares among the wheat right and so what is that is you better be careful. If they're doing things that are contrary to what God would say to do, and they're working works that are outside the bounds of what is Christian and what is savory to God, then you better deal with it. Because weeds multiply very fast. They do. And weeds, or tares they're a product of sin there were no thorns there were no briars there were no weeds in creation all of those things came about as a pro- as a byproduct of adam's sin as it when adam sinned it wasn't just adam that sinned he brought sin upon all of creation and so we look at this here and we say we think about this and and uh, and we take this back we take this back Paul said this in the third chapter of Romans. He says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongues they have used with their tongues they have used deceit, the poison of asp is under their lips, whoso whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. We're called to be the salt. Eighth chapter of Romans, verse thirteen. Paul says this. He says he says this. He says, "For as ye have re- as, as ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we oh that's no, that's verse fifteen. My bad. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Verse thirteen. But if, if but if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh of the body, ye shall live. That's what we're called to do as Christians, isn't it? the adamic nature is still resides in our flesh we have to suppress it it has to become it has to become submissive to the will of the spirit that's within us if we let the flesh decide we will walk after the flesh if we let the spirit decide we will submit or we will put down that will of the body and we'll walk as the children of God we'll walk in newness of life we'll be the salt will be the salt in those instances in those instances will be the salt but God, but Jesus gave a warning didn't he he gave a warning we go back over to Matthew chapter 9 and in those verses where he talked about that he gave a warning to those that uh, who didn't who didn't if you didn't cut off your hand if you didn't do those things the people who do those things right Jesus said this in verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it's better for him. now this was a this was a Grecian practice. Apparently, they'd take them out to sea and tie something heavy to their neck and throw them overboard. Um, and so this was not necessarily a Jewish practice. They can't re- I can't really find where a, the, this was something that the Jews practiced. But the Grecians uh, apparently did these things. And so we look at this and he says, Who shall ever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me? It's better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were cast into the sea. That would be a more desirable fate than what would happen to him. Because what would happen to him? Listen to what he says It's better to have one hand or better to have one hand than to have two hands and go into hell, into the fire that is that, that, that never shall be quenched and he says that again in verse 45 into the fire which ne- that never shall be quenched and he says it uh, and he says it again in verse 47, only he says the, as it pertains to the eyes uh, then, to go- then to be cast into hell fire and I would like to add to that which shall never be quenched. See the person that does these things it is manifested that they're not saved. It'd be better off to not have them, is what he's saying. You would be better off to to do away with it, to cut ties. Paul talked about this. John talked about this. All throughout the New Testament they would talk about this. When somebody behaved in a way where it impacted the saltiness of the church... Not in a negative sense, right? Because usually when somebody's mad, they'll say, oh, he's awfully salty today. Not in that sense, but it affects the savoriness of the church. Folks, look look at what's going on around us today. Why is it that people don't want to go to the church? Well, one of them is because I don't believe they want to, right? Another thing is, I think that the churches have lost their savor to a certain degree, I think both things can be true at the same time. I think they both can be true. There's been too much strife. There's been too much contention in the churches to make it a place where one would look and say, well, that's a place where I want to be. Nobody wants to be around contention and strife all the time. And the churches shouldn't be a place where that exists. It shouldn't exist at all. When Jesus speaks of that, he's speaking of one place and one place only, and he's speaking of hell. Isaiah talked about it this way over in Isaiah chapter 66, 22 uh, 22 through 24, uh, and he says this, he says, For as the heavens and the... The new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord. So shall your seed and your name remain. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched. And they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. That's what, uh, that's what Isaiah spoke of. Jesus was pulling from the book of Isaiah when he was referring to this. And Isaiah is referring to an area that lies south of Jerusalem, a place called the Valley of Hinnom. That Jeremiah renamed. We go over to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 30. It says, for the children of Judah. Now listen to this place and to why it it was renamed what it was renamed uh, and for the reason that it was named what it was named. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. Folks, there not be no abominations in the house of God. No abominations. What are... Six things that God hates, and seven are an abomination: a proud look, a lying tongue, so on and so forth. I'm not going to go and back and revisit all of it, so that there's no abominations. And He's talking about an idol here in my house, which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built high places unto Tophet, which the, in the valley, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. They were murdering their sons and their daughters in the valley of. Hinnom to Tophet, a, 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 a pagan god. Uh, now, Jeremiah is going to touch on the same thing over in chapter 19, verses 4 through 8, only there he uses the word Baal uh, instead of Tophet, and, and so he renames the valley of the son of Hinnom, the valley of the slaughter. The valley of slaughter, for they shall bury in Topheth, for they shall bury in Topheth, but there shall be no place, and the carcasses of these people shall be meat for the fowls of heaven and the be- and for the beasts of the earth, and none shall fray them away. Uh, because then, then will I cause to see the city of Judah and the streets uh, from, and from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. For the land shall be desolate. Why? Because the people committed abomination. When you read the land shall be desolate that means it's going to be destroyed and emptied nothing left nobody left that's what de- that's what it means to be desolate and we're going to finish up so that's 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 the person who's doing that we don't like to look at that and come to that conclusion, but that's what it says. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone shall be salted with fire. At the day of judgment, everybody will stand, and everybody will give an account to everything that they are done, and if it remains, then it'll be for reward. If it is burned away, it'll be for loss. but it's whether or not that Christ is their foundation that determines whether or not they'll be saved. Paul illustrates this perfectly over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And every sacrifice will be salted with salt. And he's referring to the preserving of that. Salt is good, but if it's lost its saltness, if it's lost its use... See, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I, don't, I know that none of us here believe you can lose your salvation. But we can lose our usefulness. That should be something that keeps us motivated. As children of God, we should have one prayer, right? That God can use us for His honor and His glory. That our works might be set up A light on a candlestick that the world might see those works and they might inquire of their Father which is in heaven. Now I'm not going to go and touch on all of the Sermon on the Mount. We can't lose our salvation. We can lose our our, we can lose our effectiveness. We can lose the ability to reach people. And in a sense, I believe I believe it was Henry Smith who used this in a lesson at Old Union back in the day that I've listened in a car to several times. And Paul preached about this. He said, "So I keep under myself, lest I myself should be a castaway." And and that's not saying Paul's lost his salvation. That's saying that Paul is no longer useful and not being useful. He he's Henry's brother Smith said it like this: He's set up on a shelf. <laughs> When something, when you don't use anything anymore, you set it up on the highest shelf, don't you? And it just sits there and gathers and collects dust. But the salt, it's lost its set. Wherewith shall ye season it? So he says, have salt in yourselves, and then to back that up, have peace with one another. Remember, John was saying he doesn't follow with us, so we forbade him. Christ said, Why? <laughs> Why did you forbade him? What was he doing wrong? Now, if he'd have been using his name incorrectly, if he'd have been doing something wherein was a real fault, then there's an issue. Best example of that is Simon Magus. Who, who, who watching the apostles lay their hands on those in Samaria and the Holy Ghost entering in, came up to them and said, how much will it cost me to be able to do that? How much money will it cost me? He had presented himself as somebody who was saved. He had, he had told Philip he believed. He had been baptized by Philip. And after that, He said, how much money will it cost for me to be able to do that? Peter looked at him and he said, you know what? You're not right with God. For you to ask such a thing shows that you're not right with God. Peter told him to his face he wasn't right with God. Peter told him to his face he wasn't saved. He just told him to his face. He said, what you've done proves that you have no idea what you're talking about. And so that in that, we should say this. We should always strive to make sure that in the household of God that we're all at rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you'll be at peace with one another. A lion will lie down with the lamb and have peace that is unspeakable and full of glory. That's when... Were the salt. That's when the Holy Spirit of God comes in the house of God as a rushing and mighty wind. And the people of God get excited. And they shout and they testify. And those that are lost in the presence of God know that they're lost. Not because anybody looked at them and said, Ah, you're a sinner. But because they feel it. They feel it. That's my message this morning. I pray that it will be of some use to you. And uh, if you're here today and you're lost, we would certainly ad- advise you to seek the Lord for the salvation of your soul. The minute that you feel that 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 trouble, that sorrow, that's the Lord letting you know He's not, you're not His, but He's wanting to draw you to Him, because no man can come into the Father except, or come into the Son except the Father draw Him. That's what you need. When you feel that, that's when it's time to seek the Lord. Regardless of what's going on, get down and start seeking the Lord for the salvation of your soul. Brother Williams, while we stand and have a song.